Hey, I am Robin Wilson, and this is the Expat Diaries podcast. And today I'm really um, happy and excited. It's funny whenever you start talking to somebody and you don't know their story yet, and their story just keeps unfolding, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is interesting. This is so interesting. And so today I have Jenny Wolf with me. And um, I met Jenny um, through a Facebook group. And I got to speak with her and just kind of discuss like, what, how did their journey to get to Costa Rica happen? And you guys are going to love this story because there's so many different layers to it. And there's so much information that I think everybody really wants to hear. Like the questions that we all have, Jenny has already experienced all of them. Um, so without further ado, Jenny Wolf, hello, welcome. Hello. I'm excited to talk to you. I know when I visited you, I, we talked about you and your husband, Lowell, um, were um, at the time before you came to Costa Rica, you were living in Vietnam. So tell me like a little bit about what took you there. Like, I can't imagine like you're a young married couple and like your first experience is like, now we're going to move to Vietnam. But tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, actually we, uh, we got married and then we uh, came to Costa Rica for one month to do our honeymoon. And then we went from Costa Rica to Vietnam to live there. Wow. So, um, yeah. And we went to Vietnam because my husband got a job there. He was, he had a friend that whose uncle uh, owned a, a business that a education consulting business mm -hmm. that sent Vietnamese kids to American boarding schools. Wow. That's interesting. That's so interesting right there. So you were in Vietnam for how long? Five years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so a lot of people are probably familiar with who your uh, father-in-law is. So then take me down the journey of how we went from Vietnam to Costa Rica. Uh, yeah, so we'd been living in Vietnam for five years, and um, in Vietnam, like I was teaching English as a second language, and that's where I got my Montessori teaching certificate. Nice, which is uh, a big uh, part of the story in the future. But <laughs> yeah, and um, I finished my training there, and um, and me and my husband after living there for five years, we were kind of like, oh, we're kind of tired of living here. We love Vietnam, but it's not really our home. So we wanted to look for something different. And my father-in-law is Jerry, um, and he owns a business called Get It Here Jerry in here in Costa Rica. So it's like a freight forwarding mm -hmm. uh, business for shipping. And so, uh, a lot of people use his service for moving down to Costa Rica because he can ship um, containers, like uh, shared containers, which right. helps to save some money because you're sharing the container instead of having a whole container. Such a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, especially at that time, because this was in, he started the business, I think, in maybe like 2013 or 2014, around there. I don't remember exactly. But um, he... There was like nothing. There was, there wasn't really any way of getting things down here in an easy way. So that's why he decided to open that business. Um, but it's also helpful not just for moving down here, but if there's anything that you want um, for building or even just things that you can't get in Costa Rica that you're maybe used to 
um, from uh, the, the states because it is from the U.S. to Costa Rica. All right. So I know we're, I'm going to talk to him soon because I know the the places that we're getting ready to build on, there's no electricity there yet. So we're going to be going solar. And um, everybody that I've spoken to is like 100% either get your solar stuff in the U.S. or get it in Panama because it's just so pricey here that you'll want to um, get everything and then bring it down. So I'll be talking to him about that then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, he decided he, he got so busy. Yeah, he got he, he needed help. Yeah, he's he needed help. And so and we were tired of living in Vietnam. So then he um, asked my husband, Lowell, uh, would you like to come down here to um, to help me expand the business? And um, so Lowell and I talked about it and we thought it'd be a really good idea. And so um, are, the about, are the climates about the same? Yes, they are. Though we were living in Hanoi, which technically there are, which is in the northern part of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And so technically there are four seasons there, though um, it's very humid in Vietnam. And also like the winter is, is very mild winter. Like it doesn't snow. And it the winter I feel like is like one month. <laughs> and then I feel like summer there is like six months. So um, yeah, but they still have like a, a like big monsoon season and and everything. So and I, think, I think you had a leg up on coming down that a lot of people don't have because Jerry, right? Like, so getting your stuff there and getting stuff moved was probably, I mean, I don't know about from Vietnam, but from anything from coming from the States. Um, Cause I know a lot of people discuss the logistics and um, I have a um, gentleman I talked to yesterday and he's like, I think I got really ripped off whenever my stuff shipped in here. The guy just like gave me a blanket price, didn't want to know what was all in there and just told me, okay, it's going to be $30,000 to get your container here. And I'm like, holy cow. Um, so I think that some of those things, you already had some insight as to that's, that's an appropriate price. That's not an appropriate price. These things are realistic and those aren't. So that was, that was helpful. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And so what year did you guys get here? So we moved here in 2016. Okay. And whenever you moved, you moved to uh, Uvita? Yes, we moved to Uvita. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I know most, a lot of expats, what, the one I speak to, we talk probably like 80% of the expats that I talk to literally just come in and rent. Is that your guys' situation too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we rent. And we still rent, even though it's been like seven years, but yeah. You know, it's funny because I was telling somebody yesterday, I was a mortgage lender for decades in the States. And when the mortgage meltdown happened, like we had a ton of real estate and it was just, there was, it was just cat catastrophe, right? Like we had so much real estate that was now worth absolutely nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And now the house that I live in, the house that I have in the States, um, I have leased it for shoot 13 years. I have no intention of buying it because I don't need to be tied down to a piece of real estate um, because my life is fluid. So it's like, there's no, there's no sense in that. And it's just a home base. And, and I have a really great landlord who's never raised my rent in 13 years. So wow. Yeah. Like, I like feel like I'm in one of those rent controlled New York cities, but um, yeah. so that's, I, I, I 100% am on, on that same page with that. So you guys moved down in 2016, started mm -hmm. helping Jerry, but then your path was different because you were really, really interested in teaching still, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, when I first got there, then I 
Well, I had like a few months where I wasn't working at all, but I was, um, because we moved down in July and then um, the school year starts here in like January, February. Okay. And so, um, but I was talking with the owner of Escuela Verde. And so um, then I started teaching there. I was teaching the kindergarten uh, class there. Such a fun age. Yeah, totally. I love that age. It's it's my favorite age. Yeah. Because it's like, they're still like, uh, so like little and cute, but then they're also getting like, um, they're pretty independent. So. Well, and they're yeah. little sponges yet. They haven't formed opinions about adults yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, they still like grownups. That's a good thing. Yeah. For sure. So how long did you teach at Escuela Verde? So I taught at Escuela Verde for two years. Nice. And then I um, got pregnant. And so I wanted to take a year off of teaching so I could um, be with my daughter. So, um, so yeah, so I took the, so when I got, after I got pregnant, then I took the year off. And um, during that year off, I had um, someone else that I met uh, here. Her name's Courtney. And um she does yoga teacher trainings, but she was a Montessori child and she had uh, three of her own kids. And so she wanted that Montessori education and she knew that I was a Montessori teacher. And so then she asked me um, to be a teacher and at that school. So tell for everybody who doesn't know what a Montessori school is like, can you kind of walk them through that? Yeah. So um Montessori education, it is, um, it was founded by a woman named Maria Montessori. Um, she was an Italian woman and, uh, this was in the early 1900s mm. and it is a, uh, philosophy of education. And so, and in this philosophy, um, it makes, it's different than traditional schools because first there is mixed age. So we do um, from age three to six, that's the primary. All together. And, and they're all together. Yeah. So they do mixed age because a lot of the, the teaching philosophy is about modeling. Uh, that's a big component of it. Um, so the teacher models and then the, also the older students um, model to the younger students. And then the younger students help the older students because uh, the older students like reinforce their learning because they're like, little teachers and then also um, teaches them like things like patience and compassion and, and things like that. I love that. Um, and then also one of the big things about Montessori education is that it is child led. And so autonomy is a, um, a huge value in Montessori education. We value autonomy, independence and responsibility um, even at this young age of three to six. And so it's the children get a lot of um, choice and then the teacher is more like a guide. And so they're there to help the child um, make sure that they're like still staying on track. But it's more of a it's more of a guidance than just like spitting out information in the child just having to um, memorize, memorize it. Yeah. It's funny. I was um, there's a book by Napoleon Hill um, and it's called Outwitting the Devil. Mm -hmm. And it was written and it was written in the 30s, in the 1930s. 
And I have to say 1930s now because we're coming up on that. <laughs> I was written in the 1930s and he was talking about, it, it's a really kind of weird fable, um, this conversation that Napoleon Hill has with the devil, right? And so he's asking him his secrets behind like, how do you get people? How do you um, get them to, you know, to sin or to follow your ways or whatever. And one of the things he tells me, he says, I start with the children in the education system. He says, they're, they're never um, taught to be free thinkers. They are only taught to memorize the stuff that's in the curriculum. And he's like, as long as I don't have free thinkers, I can control anyone. And it was like, and to think that that was written in the 1930s when nobody spoke ill of the education system um, it goes through several other tenets also as to, you know, the things that we do to ourselves that make ourselves weak for. And it's just a fable, but it's just such an interesting concept that while I was listening to it several times, I'm like, this was written in 1930. Holy cow, this craziness that somebody was aware of it at that time and went, look, if they're free thinkers, if there's someone who can actually um, solve problems on their own or come up with questions even on their own, then I can't control them because they know how to use their own free will. And so I thought about that when you and I were talking um, the other day about the Montessori way. And then I went and did some more research myself. And I was like, it's so great to have that opportunity for them to be free thinkers and to come up with come up with the things that they want to learn, too. Yeah, totally. So I know, we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about Montessori again a little bit later, but you kind of mentioned something and I want to dive in there. So um, I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, move to another country, healthcare, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, so you said, oh, and so I got pregnant. We had a baby here. And so I want people to know, like, what was that like for you? Like you're in a foreign country. It's not the healthcare that you're used to, you know. And everybody has some very primitive idea of what I think that they believe that their healthcare will be like and why they won't move to another country because, you know, America has the best healthcare in the world or whatever they want to believe. So tell me about your experience. So you and Lowell are expecting your first baby, and I'm sure you planned all of this out. Tell me about it. Yeah. So I got pregnant in June of uh, 2018. And, um, yeah, and of course, we were super excited to find out that news. And um, and yeah, that, that was our plan because we wanted to raise children here in Costa Rica because we think it's a great place to, right. to raise kids. Um, and so uh, that was also one of our reasons why we moved down to Costa Rica because we thought it would be like a really great place for, for children because um, Costa Ricans, like they love children and... Um, yeah, it's so family oriented. So um, that's something that I really love about living down here. Um, and as far as like the medical side of the pregnancy, um, it was pretty straightforward. And we decided to do to go private. Um, and I think that's one thing is because um, there is the public health system. Mm -hmm. um, and but there's also uh, private options available. And it's quite affordable. So I think that's um, important to know because even with insurance, like in the States, I, I think you would probably end up paying more than doing private here in Costa Rica. Probably. So you told me that your doctor, uh, the hospital was in San Isidro. And so if anybody has been down to the Southern zone and know the drive from Uvita to San Isidro, um, the minute that Jenny told me that I was just like, 
for reals. Because <laughs> that drive um, on a good day with good road conditions is just a tiny bit sketch. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is a windy road. And yeah, definitely like that um that like first doctor's appointment when you're in the like first trimester and uh uh having nausea like going up there ah, I, can't <laughs> I can't imagine i didn't even think about that part i was just thinking about i'm in labor and now i have to get up this road that goes like this all the way yeah. oh my lord <laughs> I mean, the drive was not fun and the drive did get old, especially towards the end when you have like a lot of um, checks and everything. Right. Then uh, going up there was just like, oh, it's so tiring. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So then you make it, you're in your third trimester. Do you consider, do you even consider like, I think we'll go ahead and stay here until the baby's born? Um. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Like I wanted to, to stay in, Uvita until I was going into labor. Um, and, and even I wanted to labor at home as, as long as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know, like a lot of people were definitely just like, Oh, are you worried about the road? But I don't know, I just wasn't, I wasn't worried about the road, even though it's not a fun drive. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I was, I wasn't worried about it. And because yeah. when, it, when I went into labor, um, there was a a bridge, they were doing construction on a bridge to get to San Isidro. And so then there was a half hour detour. So normally it takes about an hour to get there. And then it took an hour and a half to get there. Mm. So, <laughs> mm. But, um, but luckily I went into labor at night. And um, when I called the doctor, he, um, which his name is Dr. Garcia, and he's a great doctor, and highly recommend him. But um, so he, uh, he had said, um, well, yeah, I think it's time that you should come up. And right now the bridge is open. You don't have to take the detour. So why don't you come up? And then, um, if you know, you're not actually in real labor, then you just be here if you can, and then you can go home in the morning and then, you know, but if you are in real labor, then you can have the baby. And so, um, so I went up there and yeah, so then it just took an hour to get up there. Um, and he wanted to, um, first go into his office uh, before we went to the hospital because one thing, it, the hospital was Las Americas and they don't have an OB there um, all the time. And so he has to be there. So he had a policy that you have to be dilated to a six before you can go to the hospital. Mm. And so that is something that um, I will say anybody that's thinking about um, having babies here, there are some, uh, uh, a lot of policies and everything. So it's good to know right. what the policies are before. Yeah. And they don't necessarily like align with how we do things in the States or in Canada or wherever. And so you're right, like knowing what all of that is. So you're not caught off guard would probably be a good idea. Yeah. And um, so, uh, but when I got up there, even though I was having contractions that were like three minutes apart, um, I wasn't even dilated. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was just like, I was in shock. And it was like at midnight at this point. And so then we had to find a hotel um, and we, uh, the first two turned us away um, because they were full. And then the third, it was the third hotel that they, um, they 
headroom and accept what was in. It's almost so. like if you if you follow like um, I was thinking whenever you tell me this the first time too, and I was like, like there's no room at the end. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the story. Like there's no room at the end. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So so you get into the hotel. Your 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 labor is progressing. Do you have to just keep going back to the doctor's office to get examined? Yeah. So I had to keep about every six hours. I had to go back to the doctor's office to get checked and. Um, I, I had a very long labor, long story short, after uh, I think I made the call at around like 37 hours or something like that, I had only dilated to a two oh and I was just gosh. so exhausted. You had to be. Yeah. I, and I, I missed two uh, nights of sleep oh. and everything. And I was just so exhausted that I decided to go for a C-section. And so, um, yeah, I went into, in for the C-section and... Um, yeah, everything was great. And even though Dr. Garcia does speak English, um, and there was one nurse there that spoke English, but um, the like anesthesiologist and everything, they spoke um, Spanish. But um, but I did have that help because the nurse and the doc and the doctor they spoke English. Nice. So yeah, and also before, when I was pregnant, I learned a lot of medical terms in Spanish. That way, I could um, understand some. Understand, yeah. <laughs> That sounds awesome. So, so then you delivered your first child and what is her name? And her name is Quinn. Quinn. And, um, yeah, and it's, and it's it took, I never changed my last name to my husband's last name. So it has neither both our names. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's also something like, if you do have a baby here, you have to use the, um, the father's name and the mother's, uh, last name. That is a requirement. Um, Though I, I guess I know some people that they changed their name to their husband's name and then, but then they had to have like a double last name. But I think it's just like that on the Costa Rican birth certificate. But then on the like um, U.S. birth certificate, it's just like one. Normal. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. So then how long did you stay in the hospital after your C-section before you got to, you and baby get to come home? Yeah. So, um, we, I did, I did really well. And so they were like, Oh, okay, go home the the next day. So I just got to go home the next morning. So, and I was fine. And actually I didn't have any, um, pain medication. Um, and I guess it's also not standard for here in Costa Rica that they usually don't give pain medicine after, C-sections, but it sounds like in the States, a lot of women, I've heard stories that they had pain medication, but, um, I didn't feel like I needed it. So, okay. Good. Yeah. But, but I also know people that like had C-sections here and if they needed the, if they needed the pain medicine, then the doctors would give it to them. But <laughs> yeah. So got a newborn now. So you went through, not only did you go through, um, childbirth, but actually surgery also. And now you've got a newborn back home in um, Uvita. And is there, are there pediatricians? Do you have like um, a baby doctor down there? Or did you have to come back up to San Isidro for your baby doctor? Um, I just use a family doctor down here in Uvita. Um, because, and since I've, I've never had anything like need to go to the doctor at all, nice. but I have a family doctor and keep for whenever I've had like questions about like, because rashes are common down here. <laughs> and so, or like skin conditions, uh, I think is the humidity and everything. So sometimes they'll be like, Oh, what is this? And, 
Awesome. Yeah. So, okay, so not only did you have one child in Costa Rica, you've had two. So you have two children mm -hmm. now. And um, your second experience was a lot different than your first. And this, like, I just love this entire story because I'm like, I mean, you know, as a parent, like I have five kids. And so as a parent, you know, we like go back and think about what options, you know, you have or had and did you make the right decision or not? And I love that a lot of times um, if you've had a C-section, the doctor just wants to do a C-section again, like um, in, in the States primarily, like they're, they just, it's, I think it's easier for them. They can schedule it, the time frame, And it's like, you've already gone through it. So go through it again. Um, but you decided with your second one that you didn't want to have a C-section again. You wanted to um, deliver naturally, correct? Mm -hmm. So yeah. tell me, tell me about all of that. Yeah. So um, yeah, after uh, having my daughter, I, um, well, I thought, and also I thought I was just going to have like one child, but then I fell so in love and my heart just opened so much that I was like, oh my gosh, I want like 50 kids. Right. Well, of course, not really, but. It yeah, it's like so yeah. crazy. It just keeps expanding to give more love. And you're like, I didn't even know I was capable of loving this much. Yeah. And so I, so then I was like, oh, well, I definitely want another child. And, um, but I don't want to have another C-section. Because even though everything went um, well with the C-section, I just, uh, I just didn't want to go through that again. And so I wanted to go um, naturally. And so I talked to my OB and I said, uh, is it possible? Do you think I could have a VBAC? And he said, of course you can. Like, and he... Uh, and he was even so supportive of, of it. He was like, um, he told me, he's like, oh yeah, you could, uh, I've, I've supported women that uh, have have had two cesareans and then they still, they went on to have a VBAC and, um, and also like with twins and wow. Um, yeah. And then he, and he even supports um, breech birth and um and he does home births. And so he does home births from uh, all the way down from San Vito to, to Capos. He wow. does home births there. And he even said, uh, he's like, and I think you would do better in a home birth. And so, um, and I, was, I had thought of the idea of home birth with my daughter, but then I was feeling kind of scared. I think that's a pretty common for a first time mom because you don't know, um, Anything. No, anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so used to like um, hospital birth and I had actually never even really heard of home birth until I got to Costa Rica. And actually a lot of women um, have home birth in Costa Rica. Um, so I, um, so yeah, after having my daughter, I looked into home birth and I even know uh, women here that have uh, free birth or had like unassisted births. And so um, after looking into that, that's, a, I decided that I wanted that. And, um, and Dr. RC even supported that, <laughs> which I think is kind of unusual. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So we're used to doctors that just want to control everything about everything that we do. And mm -hmm. we know nothing, they know everything. And, you know, um, this is so refreshing to hear this. Yeah. So I, um, 
Yeah, for me, I, I want, I'm the type of person that likes to know a lot. So I researched a ton about free birth. And at first, um, my husband was totally supportive about home birth. But then when I told him that I wanted to do like a free birth, he was like, what? <laughs> 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 and so, and I was like, well, like, don't worry. Like, I'm not expecting you to like be a doctor or anything. Like, I think that like, as long as this is understood, everything is going to go naturally and unfold the way it is. And so, and if there is a problem, we can always call the doctor or we can always um, go down to the hospital. We can go up to Capos if we need. Right. Like if there's a true emergency. And so I looked up what those um, emergencies would be and what that looked like. So I knew if something like that appeared that, okay, then I need to call the doctor or I need to go. So one of the Um, things I was thinking about was um, because you struggled to dilate last time. So mm -hmm. then now is it your husband's job to make sure to check and make sure you're dilated to the point where it's time for you to start pushing? No, actually um, we did nothing. And actually in my research um, I had found that uh, a lot of times people that don't dilate it's the checking that disturbs that dilation Uh, so i purposely did not want to be checked okay and so um yeah so i uh that's also one of the reasons why i wanted to free birth because i wanted to not have like any of these other um energies around me and that way i wouldn't have to be put in this fear like someone else like anxious like how far along is she and i had to be very much like just, just not worry about that. Tune with all of it. And then you would know, like, this is the time. Yeah. And definitely when it was, um, when it was time, I knew like my body just did it. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, um, yeah, and actually I, I had, so your um, husband's been on the catcher's miss, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> and my, all right. Bring her here. <laughs> yeah. So I was in the, uh, I was in the shower and, um, then I, yeah, I felt down and I felt the, um, my, well, now I know it's my, son, uh, my son's head. And I was like, Oh, something's like actually happening and everything. And so then I called my husband and I was like, Hey, you got to get, um, uh, come over here. You got to get ready to catch and everything. And he was like, okay. And it's so funny. Um, he put his hands under there and then like he looked and then he was like, Oh, there's actually a baby there, Jenny. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I told you. That's I called you. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So then the, uh, I think, I mean, my body just like did it. It was totally the fetal ejection uh, reflex. And so, I mean, I guess I helped my baby uh, help push a little bit, but it, it wasn't like any really conscious. It was just, it, I can uh, liken it, it to like kind of a mom story style, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a child-led birth. It was. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So what is your son's name? Um, so my son's name is Finn. Nice. Those are cool names. Those are yeah, cool. so Quinn and Finn, they rhyme. And oh. so that, that won't be a big deal right now, but when you're angry and they're running around the yard later and you're trying to get one of them to call, you'll go through both of them before you get the right oh. one to answer you. Yeah. Oh, that happened. That happens already. So, okay. (laughs) So made it past that. We have healthy babies. Did you go to the doctor for a checkup afterwards? Like, did everything happen right? Is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, afterwards, oh, and this is also, um, 
interesting about my son's birth is that uh, when he came out, the cord ripped. And so um, I, when I saw that, I was just like, oh, well, my husband noticed it first. He's like, oh, the cord is broken. And so I was like, oh, go get a string. And right. so he got my daughter's jump rope. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he tied it off. Oh, and my then, God. And so then I did call the doctor and just and ask him. He was like, oh, yeah, just like make sure it's tied off. And yeah. and so it wasn't that big of a deal. And then, um, yeah, I also called a, a midwife who was a friend. And she said, oh, yeah, you can burn it to make sure it's like cauterized and stuff. So that's what we did. Um, but, yeah, so everything went fine. And then the next morning... Um, the doctor, I called the doctor and asked if he could come over to my house. And so he came over to my house and he just checked everything out and he was like, yeah, everything looks good. So, and how big was your son? He was, um, he was about seven and a half pounds. Nice. Good size baby. And your daughter? Um, she was eight pounds. Wow. So is, are those two, you're just going to have two? Or we're yeah. just going to wait and see what unfolds. We're just going to have two. Nice. And yeah, so I think about your birth plan. I know that for women, it's very personal, but it's like the husband just kind of gets drug along. Like, this is what we're doing. And he's just like, okay, I love you enough to, I'm going to do this thing with you. Yeah. So was Lowell, was Lowell at any time like, holy crap, Jenny, could we just do it the normal way? <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, I definitely think he had like some fears and everything, which I think is like completely normal, but he was always like, this is your birth. Like this is, uh, it's your body. It's your birth. Nice. So you need, you're the boss. So those are great stories and they give a real good insight into what your options are. If you're a younger woman moving down to Costa Rica or, um, you know, what the medical stories are not probably like would have been made up and told to you by, you know, our traditional media and the stories that we like to sell. Um, so it's, I, I love that part of the story a lot. And so now at this point, we're like probably at the point where you're about to head back into Montessori. Yes. Or did you do that in between children? Oh yeah. So in between children, I, um, yeah. So yeah. So back to 2020 when my daughter was a year, I started working for, um, Courtney's Montessori school. It was called um, Casa del Niños. Okay. But then in 2020, we all know what happened, the pandemic. <laughs> so after two months, because the school starts in February here, um, then we had to shut down. Everything shut down. And then because Montessori education is so hands-on, um, we try to do some online support, but it really doesn't work out because also in the Montessori philosophy, I mean, Maria Montessori says that our hands are the key to the brain. So we, it's very hands-on and it just, I don't know, the parents weren't, they didn't want to be paying that money for them mainly doing it all themselves. Well, and that's like a territory that, that we all just kind of headed into during that time. Like, how do we adapt? Is this adaptable? Is it not adaptable? How do we, you know, get on the other side of this and what you know what does normal look for us right now and then what will normal look like in phase one phase two phase three and so um i know in the states like they just shut traditional schools down too like they for a long time there wasn't even the option of um you know teleschools or virtual schools for so for a while like that was just all of the women 
mostly all of the women who were in the workforce had to like just go home and learn how to homeschool. Like they mm -hmm. didn't even know how to homeschool. Like they're like, yeah. now I have to be a teacher. I was a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's so is it's so interesting the time that we lived through and how everybody's life kind of evolved um, during that time. So at what point in was it in 2020 again that we got Montessori, Montessori opened? Tell me how we got back to that, because I know that Courtney ended up going yeah. back to the States, right? Yeah. And so Courtney ended up going back to the States. Um, and so, and then the school ended up, uh, just dissolving and not working out. And so then, um, another teacher at that school, Monica, she, um, she's from Spain and she started having, um, kids come to her house. And then, um, cause just a few parents, they needed some help and everything. And then it, um, she had nine kids. And so then she was like, okay, now I need to start. I need some help and everything. And, um, and these were still like three to six, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then she, um, she asked me if I wanted to help her. And so I said, yeah, of course. Cause like I need some work and, and everything. So, um, so we got together and we ended up renting the same space that was Casa de Niños, but we remodeled it. And um, we decided we could have, we could fit 15 kids in that space. And um, so we, in January, 2021, we opened the school. And, and what, is it, I, what is it called? And we re re renamed it to um, Trebel Montessori. So Trebel is um, Spanish for clover. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. So opened in January of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then that that took off like a rocket. Yeah. By March, we had a waiting list. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, and that was working really well. And then um, in, let's see, last year, so uh, January 2023, that's when we decided to uh, expand to elementary because the kids were getting older and the, some of the parents, a lot of the parents were like, well, I don't know where I want to put my yeah. kids. Yeah. Now and, what? Yeah. Cause even though there are like lots of other schools that they really loved our, our school and we're the only Montessori school in the area. So, and I know that like uh, families that are into Montessori, they stick to Montessori. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um so yeah, so we decided to expand to um, to elementary, and so we had another building built on the same property, and um, yeah, and then and now we have elementary, and we've had to get hire some new teachers, and um, yeah, so we opened the elementary program and finished the building in January of 2023. And I had my son in February of 2023. <laughs> so you did all of that really heavy pregnant, like really. Yeah. In the heat of in your third trimester. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so yeah. then how long after um, Finn was born, did you go back to teaching? Um, well, I, I'm not really teaching right now. I'm just doing administrative work. Well, actually, I mean, this year I am teaching a little bit because I um, am teaching the PE, physical education. Oh, nice. Um, but, 
yeah, but I'm mainly doing administrative work. Nice. So it's definitely having like other teachers and the two grades. There's a lot more administrative um, work to be doing. And so, and that makes my hours um, like a little bit more flexible. It's not like I have to be at the school. Right. And I can do a lot of my work from home, which makes it easier. So, so. what was one of the hardest things that you didn't really expect moving to Costa Rica that you and Lowell or you and Lowell and the family experienced and you were like, wow, I thought I, I thought I was prepared for everything, but this kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I had been thinking about this and um, actually the uh, car expenses. That is one thing that I did not really plan on because I think in this area, like um, the, uh, the weather kind of... Um, and also the roads, though now there's a lot more paved roads, but especially like there's so many bumpy roads that it puts a lot of wear and tear on your cars. So that was one thing is definitely um, uh, planning for a bigger budget for <laughs> cars because mm -hmm. it's just it just needs to be done. And then and then another thing that goes along with that and then also uh, is patience because everything here is slower. It's per vida. So you have to have that Pura Vida attitude of, um, yeah, being patient. And sometimes these things come up. It's funny because I know we've heard it a lot, a lot, a lot. And like, like, oh, my guy is supposed to come by and fix, fix the refrigerator like at noon today. And you're like, you understand Tico time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's probably not going to be there today. Yeah. He'll let and him know. He'll honk at the gate whenever it's time to let him in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like um, when I first, yeah, when I first moved here, one of the moms um, at uh, in the kindergarten class, she was Tika. And she was like, um, I was saying like, oh, yeah, there's there was something that needed to be fixed. And I was like, oh, yeah, the the man, he said he's going to be here manana. And she's like, you know, manana here means sometime sometime it does not mean tomorrow <laughs> it's it, the truth too and like the earlier that you can own that in your heart mm -hmm. the the less stress you'll have yeah because they they don't work on the crazy chaos clock that we work on you know i think about like in the states i think about like so like the cable guy says i'm going to come between 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. please be home right mm -hmm. And, yeah. and to us, we're like, are you cra crazy? You can't even like give me an hour you're going to be here. Yeah, uh, He's giving us a window in a day. And I think about that. And if you could take that times 10, that's mm -hmm. what it's like waiting for service in Costa Rica of whatever. I mean, because, you know, I mean, a lot of and a lot of time it has nothing to do with it. Like they may have been driving and a tree fell over on the road on the way to where they were going. And instead of taking their little motorcycle and going around it, they stopped, helped him drag it off, helped him cut the wood off, put the stuff out of the way. They just did the thing to help their neighbors, whatever. And then they're like, oh, well, I can go help this person and be later. I can just be on time to this. I'm like, there's just so many variables. And it's like, we just have to sit back and go, what can I do to survive if it takes three days for this person to come and fix my refrigerator? Well, I'm probably going to go down to the store and buy some ice, make sure my ice chests are loaded up, do this thing, X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And so as long as you can go, what is plan B and C before they get here? Because they're not going to be here today. 
If they are, it's a miracle and you need to blast them on social media, let everybody know who they are because those people, and they're not lazy, they're not anything. I mean, they're probably some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. For they're, sure. Their time concept is just different than ours is. And yeah. adapting to that is one hundred thing. And so then now that we've stated that, what is one of the things that you were so pleasantly surprised by? You're like, I didn't expect it, this to be that wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. I, I feel like um, I feel like there's a lot of things, but one thing I think the thing that um, stuck out the most for me and why I love Costa Rica so much is the community. Oh, yes, for sure. Community like I think that the uh, Costa Rican people are really nice. They're so patient, like um, with like, especially with like learning language and like uh, even if you don't speak Spanish and they will be patient, they understand that you're practicing. And even if they speak English, like they, if they know you're practicing and trying, they will be patient and like let you speak. Instead like, of being like, oh, let's just switch to English it. because it's easier. Like, <laughs> I went down, to, went down to Pasacanoas um, one time. We were going to go down, do do some shopping, do whatever. And um, we stopped at this restaurant. And I'd been so good. Like, I knew what I wanted to order before I got there. And I was so prepared to order it in Spanish. And this beautiful young girl, I, she was probably 15, 16 years old waiting on us. Like, these huge eyes. She was absolutely gorgeous. And she comes up. And in Spanish, I give my order. And she does this. Like, she has no idea what I've just said. Yeah. Then I repeat it again. And uh -huh. I'm like. Maybe if I change some of my phrasing, maybe I don't have like the right accent on it. So I do it a third time. And she finally, like her eyes are just big. She's just staring at me like I've just spoken Japanese. And yeah. so she finally goes over and gets somebody else to come over. And I'm like, so I said the same thing. And he was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Like he understood. Like, I don't even know what, how we had that. And she was so worried that like she wasn't getting it right. And uh -huh. it was hysterical. I mean, the first time I used to, before I, the first time I ever went down to Costa Rica, like I've always loved rum. Mm -hmm. so I normally would drink Bacardi when I go down. And so I'd gone, we'd gone to some bar. And I think we were over in, on the Nicoya Peninsula. We were over there and over in Guanacaste and I had ordered a Bacardi and Coke. And I'm like, I would like a Bacardi and Coke. And um, I mean, most of those, both of those two words should translate pretty easily. And they're like, what? So again, I'm like Bacardi and Coke, um, Bacardi and Cola. I'm like, just keep going through all of the words, trying to like get this. And I can see the bottle in the bar. So I know they have it. And yeah. I'm like, well, I walk him over and I show it to him. He goes, ah, Bacardi. And I'm like, yeah. yes, Bacardi. <laughs> then I discovered Florida Kanya and then I did never order Bacardi any longer. Yeah. It's fun. It fun. Yeah. Well, um, Jenny, I appreciate, because I feel the same way about Costa Rica. I think the people and the communities are the thing that makes me love it the most. I've traveled uh, a lot as well. And I've, um, I have never felt more welcome. The minute I get off the plane, every time I come to Costa Rica, it's just like, oh, yes, I'm home. Like, I just feel like that. And I don't ever, a lot of times for, um, a lot of times I travel down there, and I travel by myself, like I may fly into San Jose, um, pop on um, a Sansa flight over to Capos, catch the bus into Uvira, grab um, Graven's at the taxi and he takes me four wheel drive up to wherever I'm going and I've got my backpack and that's it. And I've never been worried about traveling alone into Costa Rica ever. Like there's never been a time when I was like, Oh, this feels sketchy to me. Not one time ever have I ever felt unsafe or manipulated or 
like I was dealing with a shyster of any, I mean, never at all. And so I love that. Um, and I'm sure they're there. I mean, you can get on the, the message boards or on any of the Facebook groups and people are there to tell you they're going to rip you off. This is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But I've never had it happen to me. And so I've never felt unsafe. I've never been robbed. I've never had any of those things happen. I'm always very careful anyways, just in case. Um, I'm not saying someone be carefree about this, but I'm just saying like, it's never happened to me. And I love the feeling that I have when I'm there, the feeling of peace and of community, like you stated. So um, if any of you are out there considering relocating to Costa Rica and becoming one of our expat neighbors, um, we're excited to give you as much information as we have and the experiences that we have had and uh, welcome you to a country that isn't like you're not moving here to save a ton of money like you will on some things and other things are going to cost you and it'll all balance out. You're coming here for a different quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, I appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. I know you went super personal with your birth stories and um, all of that. I'm just so happy to be able to share your story and I can't wait to actually meet you in person. Yeah, I can't wait to meet you in person too. If you guys- yeah, Thank you for yeah, having me on. Any questions, I'm gonna drop, if, I, if there's a link to the Montessori school, I'm gonna drop mm -hmm. it um, down below so people can get more information on that too as well. Okay, great, yes. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Mm -hmm. Thank you, have a lovely day. You too.